Matthew 7, 13 through 23. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The word of the Lord. Did any of you feel a little uncomfortable as that passage was being read? These are some hard words from Jesus. I don't know if you were with us months ago when we began studying the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember how it begins? We get the Jesus of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, the, the, the meek, the, the sad, the lonely, the outcast, because God is going to turn everything around for them. We love that Jesus, but the Jesus here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, not so much. Jesus begins the sermon with tenderness and consolation, but he ends with warning. This is especially difficult because it seems to go against everything that our culture values so deeply, things like freedom and tolerance and inclusivity. But here's Jesus, and he sounds so exclusive, so narrow. There's two roads, he says. One of them leads to life, but the other leads to destruction, which literally means lost. This is not a Jesus that our culture is comfortable with. For instance, I didn't become a Christian until I was 30 years old, and I've shared this before, but when I was first exploring faith, I was interested in lots of different things. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't know the difference between religions. So I was checking out Buddhism and New Age spirituality. I was also checking out Jesus. There was something that was so luminous about him. But, but there was one thing that really bugged me. It was the exclusivity of Christianity. How could Jesus be the only way to God? I, it just felt so wrong to me. I was so enamored with this idea that says all roads lead to the top of the mountain. In other words, all spiritual paths ultimately lead to God. So it doesn't matter which one you pick. Just choose something that works for you. And yet here's Jesus, and not just in this passage, but throughout the Gospels, he's constantly saying there's only one way, one road, one path that leads to God. I mean, what are we supposed to do with that? One of the most common ways is to think that what Jesus is saying is this, that he's saying, hey, there's two roads. 
On one road is all the immoral, irreligious people who are going to hell, and then on the other road is all the good, moral, religious people who are going to heaven. So just make sure you're one of the good, moral, religious people. Here's the problem with that view. Jesus is talking to good, moral, religious people and telling them it's possible that you're on the path to destruction. Now listen, Jesus is making a distinction here, but what if it's not the distinction we think he's making? And even more, what if the road that Jesus advocates is the one and only road that really can lead to everything our culture is so passionate about, the freedom, the fulfillment, the authenticity Jesus is saying there are actually three ways to live in this passage. So let's look at each one of them. There are two ways to be lost, way number one and way number two, (laughs) and one way to find life. So let's look at each one of those. First, way to be lost, number one. Um, Let's actually start in verse 22. Jesus says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Now, who are these people? Who are the many here? Well, first of all, notice that they appear to be professing Christians. They call Jesus Lord, which in that context was a very loaded statement. In the ancient Roman Empire, everyone was required to worship the emperor. They were required to say, Caesar is Lord. Christians wouldn't do that. There was only one person they worshiped, Jesus. So these people appear to be very theologically orthodox in their doctrine. But secondly, notice that they don't just call Jesus Lord, they call him Lord, Lord. Anytime in the Bible you see a name repeated like that, in the Bible, that's a way of of indicating intensity and passion. So when King David's son dies, he, he cries out, Absalom, Absalom. Or when Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. So here we have people that appear very theologically orthodox. They appear very passionate about their faith. But notice, lastly, that these people are also doing ministry and not just any kind of ministry. I mean, they're driving out demons. They're prophesying. They're doing mighty works in Jesus' name. In other words, they're exercising what the Bible calls spiritual gifts. Now, when these people come, what, what happens to them? Jesus says that many will say to me on that day, they come to Jesus on that day, which is a way of a Hebrew way of talking about the day of judgment, and they expect that that God is going to welcome them into the kingdom of heaven. Instead, Jesus says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I don't know many words in the Bible more terrifying and heartbreaking than those words. Jesus is saying that it's possible that you could live your whole life thinking that you're a real follower of Jesus, worshiping him, serving him, doing mighty works, doing ministry in his name, exercising spiritual gifts, but the whole time there's no relationship, no real relationship. You're lost. So when Jesus says, I never knew you, that word know in the Bible is a word, it doesn't just mean knowing something with your mind intellectually. It's a word that indicates relationship. It means intimacy. In fact, uh, very often the Bible uses this word to talk about sexual intimacy. Now, why would Jesus say that to these people? 
I think one of the keys to help us understand this is actually in the paragraph right before this. Jesus is talking about false prophets, and we'll talk more about them in just a bit. But here's the thing. Jesus says, here's one of the ways you can know if somebody's faith is really real. Look at the fruit in their life. So look at what Jesus says. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, in the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, fruit is a word that very often means your character. It's a word that means what it's, what's going on inside of you. So in other words, you, spiritual gifts are things that you do on the outside, but spiritual fruit is who you are on the inside. And spiritual fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul says it's things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's humility. It's continual repentance. It's who you are on the inside. Friends, here's why this is so important for us. This means that you could look at two people who, on the outside, they're doing the exact same thing, but on the inside, they're doing it for completely different reasons. So for instance, if you were with us, remember back in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about uh, prayer and helping the poor. But he does not say, hey, look at these good people over here who are praying and helping the poor and these bad people over here who are not praying, not helping the poor. He doesn't say that. He says, look at these two people. Both of them are praying. Both of them are helping the poor. But only one of them is doing it for God. The other one's doing it for themselves. They're doing it for the affirmation, for the recognition, for the praise of others. They're not doing it for God. They're doing it for themselves. Being a really good moral religious person is is their way of trying to put God in their debt, a way of saying, hey, God, I've done all this stuff. Now you owe me. Friends, here's the point. Um, Jesus is showing us that there is a huge difference between exercising spiritual gifts and bearing spiritual fruit, growing in spiritual fruit. There's a, there's a big difference between those two things and that it's possible that, that you could be exercising spiritual gifts, but if you're not growing in fruit, if you're not growing in love and compassion, in humility and repentance, in gentleness and patience and forgiveness and, and, and long-suffering, that it's possible that the gospel has never really grabbed hold of your heart in the first place. So think about it. You know Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus? He was one of the 12 disciples, He was casting out demons. He was doing mighty works in Jesus' name. He was exercising spiritual gifts, but he was lost. Friends, you know, the point of this point is not to terrify Christians, okay? The point here is not to provoke an unhealthy, neurotic anxiety and doubt about the state of our faith and our relationship with Jesus. But this is a call to um, self-examination. It is a call to self-discernment, to ask ourselves, hey, am I growing in fruit? Am I growing in spiritual fruit, in spiritual character? And especially, this is a call not to presume that just because you grew up in church or grew up in a Christian home or, or because you have your baptism certificate or because maybe you walked the aisle who knows how many times or because maybe you're really busy doing ministry in the church that therefore you have a vital growing relationship with Jesus. 
Jesus is showing us that one way that you can be lost is by being a really good, moral, religious person who thinks that thereby God owes you something because of your goodness. It's no wonder that so many young people look at that and they want to have nothing to do with that because they see the hypocrisy. And friends, that leads to our next point. We've just seen way to be lost, number one, but secondly, Jesus shows us way to be lost, number two. Let's go back to verse 15. Jesus says, watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now, who are these folks? In that world, prophets were teachers. It could have been maybe a rabbi or maybe some other kind of teacher. Um, but, but in that world, prophets were, well, the, the terms that we would use today are they would be the thought leaders. They would be the influencers. If, if they were around today, these are the folks that are on Twitter and Instagram. They're writing books. They would be, they'd have their own YouTube channel, okay? But Jesus, he calls them false prophets. Why? Well, he says they're wearing sheep's clothing, but underneath they're really wolves. In other words, um, they're disguised. They look and sound like real Christians. They're proclaiming Jesus. They're sheep. They look like sheep, but underneath there's some way they always twist or distort the gospel. They're really wolves. And here's how you'll know. The message of the false prophets and the teachers is always Jesus plus something else. It's always Jesus plus something else. So think about the deepest questions and longings of our lives. Are you looking for fullness? Are you looking for love and belonging? Are you looking for meaning or purpose? Are you looking for connection with God or freedom from the troubles of this world or the troubles of your own life? We're all looking for at least one or two of these things. The answer of the false prophets and false teachers is to say that Jesus plus something else. That's the answer. That's the road to life. It's always Jesus plus something else. Now, in that day, it would have been things like Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus obeying the Jewish law or Jesus plus some kind of secret knowledge or mysterious ritual or living a lifestyle of extreme self-discipline, something like that. But do you see the common denominator in all of those things? It's, it's anything or anyone that pulls you away from a single-hearted allegiance to and reliance upon Jesus only. It's always Jesus plus something else. Now, Here's what this means for you and me today. Uh, for many years, all of the experts, all of the thought leaders in society, they, they assumed a kind of prescience, a kind of foresight about the future of religion in this world. They said, hey, the more progress the world makes in science, technology, politics, social policies, things like that, the more progress we make, the less religious we're going to become. They thought that primitive belief in, in God was just going to fade away because we wouldn't need it anymore. But in fact, the opposite has happened. There's been a virtual explosion of all kinds of different religions and spiritualities. There are perhaps more spiritual options to choose from today than at any time in history. And there's also a narrative that goes along with that explosion. And the narrative says, look, it doesn't matter which spiritual path you choose as long as it works for you. 
Don't, don't worry about, is it true? After all, who's to say what's true? The most important thing is not whether it's true, but whether it works for you. That's, that's what our culture says. Now, when we say that, when we talk about having freedom to choose what's best for us or what works for us, I want to suggest that one of the big things we're talking about there is authenticity. That means being true to yourself. It means um, having the freedom and really the responsibility to choose which voice you follow. And that should never be imposed upon you from outside of yourself. And again, that, I think that's one of the big reasons that we've seen this mass exodus of people away from institutional religion. It's not just the hypocrisy. It's this idea that truth claims should never be imposed upon you from outside of yourself. Now, here's the thing we really need to see. There is no one in the universe, no one, who wants you to become your true, authentic self more urgently and more passionately than Jesus does. If the essence or one of the defining characteristics of authenticity is having the freedom and responsibility to choose for yourself, don't you see? That is exactly what Jesus is offering us in this passage. He's saying, look, there are two roads, two two possible paths. The choice is real, and only you can make the choice. There is no one in the history of the world who has honored and dignified the individual human responsibility of every human person more than Jesus. But here's the thing we need to see, because the real question here is, which voice are you listening to? Which voice are you following? Jesus plus something else isn't really Jesus at all. Jesus will never share his voice or his authority with anyone else. When we say Jesus plus something else, that's not really Jesus at all. That's just a Jesus you may mix and match with other voices, but it's not the real Jesus. So for instance, you know, in our world today, we could say, hey, look, there's different ways of, of, of mixing and matching different spiritual traditions. You might take a little Jesus. You might take a little Buddha. You might sprinkle a dash of Oprah or Gwyneth Paltrow and voila, customized spirituality. But Jesus plus something else isn't really Jesus at all. Now, listen, friends, you know, if you want to mix and match customized spirituality, you are free to do that. Jesus is saying you're free to do that. And as a finite human being, I I can't stand here and say to you with 100% certainty that's absolutely wrong. I can't say that. What I can say with a pretty high degree of historical confidence, is that the real Jesus, the historical Jesus, the Jesus we meet in this passage, will never share his voice or his authority with anyone else. You can mix and match a Jesus with something else, and it's some Jesus, but it's not the real Jesus. He will never share his voice with anyone else. Now listen, I understand that in our culture, we resist any absolute exclusive truth claim. It just feels so intolerant to us. But we really need to understand something here. When, when our culture says um, that whatever is true, it doesn't matter what's true, but what works for you, That cultural narrative, we have to understand that there really is a truth claim buried underneath this. That that when we say it doesn't matter what's true, but what works for you, what it's really saying, we can't say that unless we've already assumed something that's true, namely, that only you, you are the only person in the universe who can decide what's best for you. Do you see 
That is a massive truth claim, and it's radically exclusive. Only Your voice is the only voice in the universe that can determine what's best for you? It doesn't get much more exclusive than that. Listen, if you're exploring faith this morning, if you're considering the claims of Christianity, then here's what this means for you. At the end of the day, you're the one who has to figure this out for yourself. Jesus honors you with the dignity of making this choice. If, if the essence of authenticity is freedom and responsibility to choose for yourself, then, then this is what Jesus is offering you, but Jesus also wants you to be really clear about what the choices really are. Jesus plus something else isn't really Jesus at all. It sounds very neutral, sounds very inclusive, but it, it's a way of, of, of disguising, of pretending to be neutral, inclusive as a way of disguising and hiding the real truth claim that lies buried underneath. In other words, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. At the end of the day, friends, here's the reality and the thing we need to see. There are only two possible choices because there are only two possible voices, Jesus or you. There are only two possible choices because there are only two possible voices, Jesus or you. And like I say, if you're exploring faith, you're going to have to figure this out for yourself. But at least Jesus will not blow smoke at you by, by pretending that whatever you choose doesn't matter. Jesus lays it all out on the table for you. Jesus doesn't pretend to be neutral and inclusive as a way of disguising just how exclusive he really is. Jesus is 100% authentic and honest with you. And that leads to our last point. We've just seen way to be lost, number one, and we've seen way to be lost, number two. But lastly, we need to see the way to find life, real life. Because now that we've done all of this work talking about these different ways of being lost, now we're actually in a position to come back to the beginning of the passage and understand what Jesus is really talking about there. Remember, the whole thing begins, Jesus says, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, we just spent a whole lot of time talking about this broad road that leads to uh, destruction, and it was important to do that because Jesus is showing us that you can be just as lost in your religion as in your irreligion, that you can be just as lost in your goodness as in your badness, that the real distinction here is not between the good people and the bad people, but between people who follow their own voice and people who follow Jesus' voice. And now that we understand that, we're actually in a position to understand the difference between these two roads. I was reading um, one of the commentators that I was studying this week, used the perfect illustration. These two roads are like two sides of a funnel. You know how a funnel works, right? At one side is very wide and spacious, but then it narrows down to this very constricting, constrained, suffocating little hole. That, that's how a, a funnel works. When Jesus talks about this broad road, the entry point there is very broad and spacious. It's very easy to get on this road. And the essence of that road, um, the reason it's so easy to get on it is because it's based on you determining what's best for yourself. It's all based on your voice, you being your own authority, you being your own savior. 
It's based on you ultimately having the, the freedom to determine what's best for yourself, whether it's your religious performance or some other way of life that you define for yourself. Very broad, very spacious, very easy to get on this road. But where does this road lead? If your sense of self is determined by, by your voice, your authority, something that you've determined for yourself, whether it's your performance or achievement or your children's performance or achievement or your freedom to define yourself or romantic or sexual fulfillment or uh, devotion to some political or social cause or whatever it might be, then, then that's a sense of self that you have determined for yourself, your voice, your authority, very wide and spacious on the entry point. But where does that lead? If anything threatens or destroys any of those things, and in this world, they always will, then what happens to you? Your whole sense of self is threatened and destroyed. This wide open space has led you to a very narrow, suffocating little hole. You're lost. You're destroyed. Contrast that with following Jesus. The entry point is on the other side of the funnel. You've got this very narrow, suffocating little hole. Jesus only. And we look at that and we say, I'm not going in there. I'm going to get crushed. I'm going to die. Yeah, you will. And that's part of the point. The false self that's based on your voice, your authority, that needs to die so that you can be reborn and recreated into the true authentic self that, that, not that you determined yourself to be, but that God created you to be. Dear ones, there is nothing more authentic than being the self that God created you to be. And when you enter through this narrow, suffocating little hole and then go out, where does that lead you? leads you to this wide open space because yourself, your sense of self now is no longer determined by what you say about yourself. It's now it's determined by what God says about you. That's ultimate freedom, ultimate security, ultimate love because your sense of self is now no longer rooted in what you say. It's rooted in what God says. It's rooted in something that can never be threatened or destroyed. It can never be taken away from you. You are walking around in a wide open space here. So when people criticize you, or when people other you, or when something that you love is threatened or destroyed, you're not threatened, you're not destroyed. When something you love is crushed, you're not crushed. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, probably even very deeply depending on what it was, but, but your whole sense of self is not destroyed when that thing you love is destroyed. You're walking around in a wide open space. In fact, the more um, love and acceptance you're able to give yourself, the more love and acceptance you're able to give other people. Do you see where this leads us? It's the end not only of self-hatred, but of other hatred. You stop othering people. You stop despising. It's the end of contempt. Friends, how does this happen? Where do you get this sense of self that, that God is offering you here? The only way to get it is to receive it from Jesus only. Not Jesus plus something else. Jesus only. Because think about it. Jesus Christ is the God of the universe. He's infinite and eternal. He created all things. He's this wide open God, but this infinite, eternal, wide open God who created all things went down, down, down and squeezed himself. He became a fetus and squeezed himself into a womb. 
And friends, that was just the beginning of how far down this God was willing to go for you. Because his whole life was a big, broad road to destruction. Everything in Jesus' life ultimately led him to death on a cross. And on the cross, Jesus was squeezed. He was pressed. He was confined. He was constricted. He was ultimately crushed so that you could be set free. On the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God! The doubling of the name, the intensity, the passion. He cried out, My God, my God! But all he heard from God the Father was, I don't know you. Depart from me, you evildoer, so that we could cry out, Lord, Lord! And God the Father would say, Ah, my beloved child, welcome! to the joy that was created for you from the foundation of the world. Friends, when you see Jesus hanging on the cross, dying for you, don't you see that's the ultimate good tree, bearing the ultimate good fruit. So that when you trust in Jesus, when you choose to follow his voice, yes, that is the death of self, but it's only the death of that false self that you determined yourself to be so that you could be reborn into that true, authentic self that God created you to be determined by his voice. So if you're a Christian here this morning, I want to encourage you. I don't want to terrify you, but I do want to encourage you. This is a call to self-examination. It's a call to self-discernment, to ask ourselves, am I growing in spiritual fruit? Am I growing in my relationship with Jesus? Is it really changing me? Has the gospel of grace really grabbed hold of my heart and started working in my life so that I don't get angry at God when things don't go my way because I have some kind of entitlement, because I feel like my good deeds, my obedience has, has, has put God in my debt? That frees us from anger from God, at God. To ask ourselves, are we growing in this kind of spiritual fruit? Is God allowed to do whatever he wants in your life, to your life, and through your life? And if you are exploring faith or considering the claims of Christianity this morning, Jesus is honoring you here with the dignity and responsibility of choosing which voice are you going to follow, which voice is going to be the basis of your sense of self and your whole life and ultimately your eternal destiny. At the end of the day, there are only two possible choices because there are only two possible voices, Jesus or you. Let's pray. Abba, Father, Lord, um, we do praise you this morning for you are a God who values our authenticity, who values our freedom, our choice so much that you would send Jesus to die on a cross to give us that kind of freedom, to give us that kind of choice, to lay that kind of responsibility on our shoulders that we might have the responsibility and the dignity of responding to you Father, we pray this morning that, that if we are followers of Jesus, that you would help us to, to discernment, to clarity, to self-examination, and to uh, a greater freedom, Lord, that that narrow little hole would, would lead us out into ever more wide-open, broad spaciousness, and that we would walk around in freedom in Christ. But I pray also for those of us who may be exploring faith this morning, that you would um, help us to see the choice that's really before us, that Jesus plus something else isn't really Jesus at all. And at the end of the day, the only choices are Jesus or me. Father, I pray that you would help all of us always to choose Jesus and to find the freedom and the spaciousness that can only be found in Jesus. For we pray it all in his name.
Amen.